Thanks, Hunter. Good morning. All right. Well, we are in our series on Don't Sell Yourself Short. Today, we're going to be talking about Don't Sell Out to Anger. I hope you're not expecting a message on me talking to you about how you shouldn't get angry. How many of you get angry from time to time? Yeah. And so while the, the message is don't sell out to the anger, there will be a part of it for when we are angry. But first, I want to talk to you about the things that make God angry. How many of you know God loves you? I mean, you just know he loves you. How many of you have actually felt that he loved you and he kind of let you know that he loved you in a moment when you weren't obeying him? All right? So some of you, if you're like me, when I was in my 20s and teens and 20s and early 30s, um, I would actually shove him aside, and it wouldn't be until later on when I wanted to say I was sorry that I felt that love. I really didn't feel, what I felt was separation. And basically, I felt him say, you're on your own, okay? So picture a, you know, picture a, a, a pilot and a co-pilot in a plane, and um, every time I would grab that yoke as a co-pilot there, um, he would let go. Now, he'd be in the plane as I went wherever I went, but I was determining where I went, what I said, and what I did. Anybody felt like that with God before? Okay, it's a good picture of, of you. Yeah. Do you know that sometimes when we're doing that, God is concerned for us, and he is, um, he's certainly not worried, but he, because he knows how we end up. By the way, by the, if you are struggling with anger, know this, one day you'll never be angry again. No, you probably won't be, because I don't think there's anything to be angry about on the other side of the, at least the thousand-year reign of Christ. I think during the thousand-year reign of Christ, we might get angry with God, and, but we won't be sinning in that anger. How many of you hate what you ch some of the choices you've made on things you've said and done when you were angry? Yeah. You wish you could go back? Yeah. And so today, we'll talk about what to do in that moment that you become angry. It's for you to be able to, see, hopefully, that you'll begin to see it for what it is, um, what the Bible says it is, and that it is a trap that Satan loves to snare us in. But first, we're going to take a look at this idea that we can make God mad. Did you all know that? That God actually gets angry? Oh, yeah. So, this is a little deeper than you're going to get in most churches, okay? So, I'm going to get a little deeper for you here. Um, how many of you know that as far as the east is from the west, so are your sins from God, right? From the Father being able to see those things. If God the Father wants to look at my sin since the day I was nine years old, he had to go and look at Jesus because that's where my sin was, right? So if that's true, then why the heck would God ever get angry when I sin? He shouldn't be getting angry at me. He should be getting angry at Jesus. Jesus took it on him. I don't really feel that way, but I'm just going common sense. Bob, you teach that the Father doesn't see our sin, yet at the same time you teach that he gets angry when we sin. Anybody confused out there? Okay, we're going deeper here. The Spirit of God does see our sin. Jesus does see our sin. They both work in us to bring us away from sin, Amen. right? And like it or not, the Spirit is very much involved in our life. It says, the Bible says not to grieve the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit doesn't want to discipline us. But when we grieve the Spirit, the Spirit has to because God loves us. And the Spirit sees that. 
he has to discipline us. And so for, a, for an example of that in the scriptures, um, you should never teach anything that you can't show an example of it in the scripture. So you remember Ananias and Sapphira, they both, they were a couple. People in the church had been selling property and giving the money to the, to the um, pastors of the church there in Jerusalem to feed the poor in the church and take care of those who didn't have enough in the church. And they sold their land, but they kept some of the money back for themselves, which was okay. Peter said that would have been fine. But what they did is they told Peter and the pastors that they had given everything. In other words, they lied to make themselves look better. Have you ever done that? Yeah. I think most of us have lied or told half-truths to make ourselves look better. Okay? But this time they were lying, according to Peter, to God. And so it was not God the Father that struck them dead. It was the Holy Spirit that struck them dead. And they both died, by the way, first, first Ananias and then Sapphira, and because they both held to that lie. Now, the fear, that struck fear in the church. So I hope that through this message that you will have enough fear of God to stop letting your, 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 um, the things that we're going to be talking about here today in this first part of the message to stop selling out to them because you know God gets mad about them and gets angry about them. And he will punish us. In the um, early church there, in the, in, the, in the Corinthian church rather, we have the church is taking the Lord's Supper in a wrong way. In other words, they're not acknowledging the death in the, in, of Christ, the body and the blood that was spilt for them. They were not using it to, to reconnect with God. Instead, they were just taking it as a basically a part of a part potluck. And they weren't acknowledging really what it was all about. And because of that, Paul said some of them were sick and some were dying. In other words, God was disciplining them. Okay? And so it is a very real thing. A lot of the bad things that God has allowed in my life, he has allowed in my life in order to teach me. Would you agree? And some in order to punish me when that punishment was designed to affect change in my life. Okay. Once the change was affected, do you think God kept punishing me? No. He loves me. He cares about me. He loves me too much to not punish me, and he loves me too much to keep punish me, punishing me when I have adjusted to him. And we'll see that coming up in just a bit. But first, I really wanted to drive home. There are things we can do that can make God mad and angry. And he never sins. Amen? But that doesn't mean he never disciplines, right? And though, know this, that when we sin and when we make God angry, God just wants us to come back and agree with him and come back into fellowship with him. Okay, and so let's take a look at what makes God bad, mad. First one is the most obvious one, disobedience. Write that down, disobedience. There is a sin that leads to death, according to the scriptures. All the other sins do not lead to death. There is forgiveness available to us. But there is one sin that leads to death. When we disobey, when we say to Jesus, no, when he says, I love you, I died for you, I want to have a relationship with you, I want to give myself to you, and I want you to give yourself to me, and you go, no thanks. One day, according to the scriptures, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Some of us get an invitation to know God 
while we are here on this earth with a sinful nature fully in force in our lives. And God makes that invitation, not people. Okay, So one of the things you'll learn at the witnessing workshop is you don't save anybody and you don't keep anybody from being saved when you don't share. Okay, That's not on the table. Take it off of the table. I want you to be comfortable when God gives you the opportunity to know it's an opportunity and how to take it. That's why I'm doing that workshop. I've shared the gospel in the, in the last um, two weeks, two weeks probably to over 400 people. Okay, and I'll teach you why, why I get so many opportunities. But when I first started wanting to share the gospel, it was like, it seemed like forever. How many of you feel like when you want to share the gospel with somebody, it takes forever before anybody seems to be willing to listen, right? Yeah, well, I'll share with you, and it doesn't work, well, I'll share with you on that, it doesn't have to do just with that, but anything else you want to do for God, anything else you want to do for God, I'll show you in that witnessing work, workshop how to be comfortable enough to not miss God and take advantage of the opportunities that he gives you. But in John 3, 36, you remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Well, the verse that comes after that in John 3 says, and for those who do not believe that we are condemned already and we do not need judgment. There is no judgment that's necessary for us because we have actually chosen to reject God and choose the other option, which is separation from God. And so this is what chapter 3 is all about. It's all about we must be born again. This is where Nicodemus is being told by Jesus, a Pharisee, being taught how to be saved and that he must be saved, he must be born again. But look what he says there in verse 36. Those who do not obey the Son will never have life. God's anger stays on them. In other words, my, God's anger for my sin is not on me or you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. It has, it's not staying on you. From the time I was nine years old, if God wanted to see my sin, he could only see it on the back of Jesus Christ, the Father. Okay? But the Spirit, obviously, was right there when I was sinning, moving in me, working in me to both will and to act according to God's good purpose instead of my own selfish purpose. And so we are always engaged with God, the Spirit of God. But when we sin, it is His anger, not the Father's anger, that we must deal with. Okay? But he, again, remembering, He will never sin in that anger. But this is for those who don't say, when Jesus says, I am your Lord, and you need to follow me. Because that's how He says it. You remember when He's the rich young ruler? Jesus said, oh, please believe in me, please believe in me. He didn't say that. He said, he said if you want eternal life, this is what you must do. Sell everything you have, give the money to the poor. In other words, take the things that you want more than me and get rid of them and come follow me. It wasn't a please believe in me. It was a command to come and follow me. And that's what he's talking about here. When Jesus says to you, come and follow me, and you say no, all that simply means is God the Father's anger remains on you. But if you were 9 years old or you were 20 years old or 80 years old and you said yes, Jesus, and he put his spirit in you, the wrath of God the Father no longer is on you. You will never, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we became in Christ Jesus, according to the scriptures, when you heard the message of your salvation, having believed and put your faith in him, he put his spirit in you. You were included in Christ in that day. Okay, Ephesians 1. All right, so disobedience now 
for the wrath of the Father remains on everyone who has heard the gospel or who has not heard the gospel, but have not been in, commanded by Jesus to follow me. Okay? So if you've said yes to him, even if after that you sin, believe me, I, we can talk for hours about my sins after I was saved. How many of you have sins after you were saved? How many of you never sinned again after you got saved? Yeah, I didn't think so. It doesn't happen. Okay? It doesn't happen. Which is why, number two, God gets mad and angry over unforgiveness. If I've been saved by God, I have been forgiven. Amen? And when I have been forgiven for every sin, then God hates it and gets angry when I won't forgive you. Because if you sin against me... I already know, if you're his child, that the Father's wrath is not on you, right? But I also know, because I've sinned against you or others, I also know that God is angry with me. This is why we should forgive each other, because God's anger is enough. We don't want to add our own anger on each other. We don't want to add our own unforgiveness. You say, well, God will forgive me. Well, let's... Let's see if he will. In, in, the, in the Bible, we have a guy who, um, who, this king, he owes this king a lot of money. And this king calls him in and says, okay, pay up. And, or I'm going to have to send you to, you know, debtor's prison. And he begs and he pleads and he says, oh, my family, they need me. I, they'll starve without me. And so the king says, all right, I'll forgive you of everything you owe me. This was a huge amount of money, at least 10 years worth of wages. It was not a small amount right and so this guy leaves the presence of the king and as he's walking home to tell his wife that hey we're off the hook he comes up against somebody who owes him a very very small amount of money maybe a day's wages not compared to 10 years to wages right and he asks for it and the guy says well i can't pay you and he so instead of forgiving him he has him hauled off to debtor's prison and here in this verse, Matthew 18, 34, 35, Jesus tells you when we do that to each other, when we won't forgive each other after we've been forgiven so much. And, and think about it. My, I think of all my sin that God has forgiven me for, and I won't forgive you of 10, of 15, of 20, of 100. It's still a fraction of all the sin that God has forgiven me of. So how many times should I forgive my brother? Once? Twice? Seven times, 70 times, seven times. In other words, keep forgiving. Why? Because you will never approach the amount of sin that my, your father has forgiven you of, right? And so here, here's what Jesus says it's like for us, people who are his children. He says, the master was very angry and put the servant in prison to be punished until he could pay everything he owned. This king did what my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Listen, I'm doing this first part so that you will stop selling out to these things. Do you know what the number one reason people leave churches other than if they move or something like that? I'm not talking about that. Or called to missionaries to be a missionary or something like that. The number one reason people leave church, they'll tell you somebody hurt them. But that's a lie. The number one reason people leave churches is they don't forgive the people who hurt them. And it's been going on for 2,000 years, guys. Paul did it. 
Paul and Barnabas were going to go on a second time. The greatest missionary journey to that point ever for the gospel started churches. And they were going to go out and they were going to check on those churches and establish leadership. And they couldn't go because Paul wouldn't forgive John Mark for leaving them. And Paul wrote some of the Bible. Do you think God was angry with Paul? I think God was angry with Paul. And I think Paul would tell you that God was angry with him. Okay? And so we know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, how be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some Bibles has, for thine is the kingdom and the power for glory. And then they have the next verse. And some, verses, some versions go just to the next verse. And the next verse is this. For if you will not forgive those who sin against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. So what does that mean? I'm going to hell? No. That means I can't have fellowship. I can't walk in fellowship with God if I won't forgive you. And it's, I've watched this. I've watched people who have left without forgiving and they never, they don't know how much freedom is waiting for them. If they, would, they don't have to come back and go back to the same church that hurt them. They just need to forgive those who hurt them because they have, they're walking in a state of unforgiveness with God and they've forgotten what it's like to walk in fellowship with God if they ever knew it in the first place. The third thing that makes God angry is legalism legalism this makes god angry in acts we see people trying to lay rules on people to follow and we read in acts 15 10 why are you trying to make god angry so why are you trying to make god what angry by placing a heavy burden on these followers in other words people were trying to be god in other people's lives because here's why if I want to make you be good and I want to do things and I want to hurt you or I want to expose you or I want to do anything, you know, like somehow make you feel like you're this small when you make a mistake. If that's my goal, then what am I doing? I'm putting a burden on you, am I not? Yes, because I myself am not perfect, amen? I should have got the loudest amen I got all morning. Thank you, honey. She didn't yell. She could have. Nobody's seen more of my sin than her, ever, right? You feel that way about your spouse? Oh, if you knew my spouse, you wouldn't. Listen, it doesn't matter. I forgive your spouse, do you? You see what I'm saying? You follow, right? I don't forgive my, my spouse because, or your spouse because they deserve it, and you shouldn't either. Because that means then I've got to, if I'm forgiving someone because they deserve it, then I'm asking God to forgive me when I deserve it. Because I said, forgive me as I, in the same way that I forgive those who sin against me. So if I'm going to make them deserve it, then I'm asking God to tell me or to start forgiving me when I deserve it. And I know me well enough to know I'm never going to deserve his forgiveness. Ever. So I need to forgive others without requiring that so that I don't make God angry. Number four, interference. 
Mark 10, 14, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with disciples. People were coming and children wanted to come too. Have you ever gone somewhere and your kid said, I want to go? But you were just going with adults and you said, no, don't ever make that church. <laughs> don't ever make that somewhere where they're going to meet Jesus and see the love of Jesus. If you're going to, if you're going to something here at Grace and your kids want to go, if Jesus is saying, let them come, it would be better to make the people there upset than to not to make God angry. Would you agree? Yeah. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. Oh, he gets angry with disciples. Is that proof? Okay. He gets angry with disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. He gets mad when we get in the way of people finding him. And that goes back to legalism because legalism gets in the way. Stop looking to the Holy Spirit to do what's right. You start doing what's right because if you don't, here's what we're going to do. That's ridiculous. That's what the Pharisees did. And that is not anywhere in the kingdom of God. Should we be sinning? Absolutely not. Why? Because we got number one. Disobedience makes God angry. But listen, he's the one that gets to deal with my disobedience. And at best, he will include you in it. But if he's not including you in the love that goes with it, then something's wrong with you. Not wrong with me. There is a greater wrong going on in you if you're more than willing to show me my error, but you're totally missing the love of God. Right? Number five, evil influence. God gets angry when people purpose to lead us into another way. So somebody's trying to lead me into legalism, God gets angry. If someone's trying to lead me into um, wrong beliefs from the scriptures, God gets angry. That's why if you are a teacher, you are held doubly accountable to God. He gets angry when you teach wrong. And by the way, every teacher who's ever taught teaches wrong sometimes. And God gets angry, which is why it is good news that it's always in love. His anger never goes where our anger goes, right? He does not let his anger drive what he does. He does, you know what drives everything God does? His love for us. And his love for his children is different for those than for those who reject. It's enough to pay for all their sins. Jesus did that. But he doesn't walk with people who reject him. He walks with people who want him and desire him. Romans 8, 1.18 talks about when you're one of those people, the people in your life that are making it hard for you to follow Jesus, he gets angry with them. God's anger is revealed from heaven against all the sin and evil of the people whose evil ways pre prevent the truth from being known. Not only is, it, is he angry with them, he will reveal that anger. He will reveal that anger in the people, in the sin and the evil of the people whose evil ways prevent this truth from being known. All right? So anyone who would shame you into believing that there's more than one sex, male or female, they would shame you into believing it because they do, and they would say that you are evil if you don't agree with them. God says what? He says, that's evil and that's sin, and I will reveal it. And they are preventing the truth from being known. 
don't believe me? I guess now if you go into the Air Force and you try to say that, if you go into the school systems and a lot of different places, if you try to say, nope, God only made man and woman. It says so in Genesis. He didn't make an in-between. Man and women, end of story. Chromosomes are a dead giveaway. You know, it's a dead giveaway. And yet people would have you be seen as the evil one because you agree with God. And God is angry at them. Don't let those things come into your thinking and don't teach those things to others. It is not true just because people who are crazy think it is. They are. In other words, their mental ability is messed up. Their desire to fit in with a certain culture is so strong that they're willing to take the word of God and crumble it. And not only that, make sure you can't speak it without paying a price. Listen, you don't have to get angry at them. God's getting angry at them, right? Number six, rejection. Rejection. God gets angry when I know what he wants from me and I reject him. Remember when you were a kid and your mom said, hey, make, go make your bed and you didn't do it, right? Sometimes you just didn't do it. Sometimes you said no and sometimes you said I'll do it later and every time it was disobedience, wasn't it? You rejected what she wanted for you. She wanted you to go make it now. She wanted you to go make it now. When did God want Israel to go into the promised land? He actually wanted them to go into it twice. The first time they rejected him, but they chose instead to do it the next day because they didn't like the result of his anger, which was 40 years in the desert. And what happened? They got beaten badly and they ended up with 40 years in the desert. It would have been much better for them if they would have just followed God into the promised land the first time, but they didn't. Listen, God gets angry when we tell him, wait. He does. When we know what he wants and we tell him later, then we will go into a time of punishment. Not so that we can have the promised land, but so that we won't reject going and doing what God wants us to do. For 40 years, that's what they learned, to stop telling God later. And no, although like you and me, there were a lot of hard lessons that they didn't learn. Romans 2.8, God will show how angry and furious he can be with every selfish person who rejects the truth and wants to do evil. That was me. That was me as a Christian for many years. And God showed how angry and he, furious he was. I think there's some negative things that happened in my life that would not have happened. I know that for sure had I not made God angry while I was saying the things I was saying, while I was doing the things, while I was rejecting God when he was telling me, go to church or stop doing this or start doing that. And I'm saying no. All right. So how to deal with your anger. Now we're back to your anger. Okay. I said all this I said before because a lot of today is how to deal with God's anger because that is our bigger problem, guys. I don't care if you get angry all the time. God's anger is your bigger problem. Okay? And so we're going to talk about, finish with that in a minute, how to deal with God's anger when, it's, when he's angry at us and when he's angry at others. But first I want to talk about how to deal with when I'm angry. How many of you know someone who has ruined their life because every time they get angry, they'll go out and they'll do things that they wouldn't have done had they not been angry? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a song about someone I love. And it happened the day he got angry, and he walked out of the house, and I knew he was going to go make choices that he would not have made had he not gotten angry. 
and it broke my heart. And you'll never hear that song because it's not a worship song. It's a broken heart crying out to God's song, you know. Um, and I've seen it over and over and over again. Wives whose husbands have to deal with husbands who have anger issues. Husbands who have to deal with wives. I've seen parents who have to deal with children who have anger issues. Have you? Yeah. Parents with children and those kinds of things. It is not hard if you're one of those people to get past it. Okay? Right? If somebody's gotten angry at you and said things and done things to you, then you know what to do. Forgive them, right? But if you're the one who is doing it, and we all have, we've all sinned in our anger, right? Here's how to deal with it. Ephesians 4.27 says, when, circle the word when. It doesn't say if, right? God knows it's going to happen to every one of us. When you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Okay? A mighty, what does that mean? That means you have just moved into an arena where Satan rules your life. Where he dominates your thinking. Where he gets his way every single time. That's a foothold. Master Life Book 3 is where we teach you about that. You can say no, you know, you can deny yourself, take up the cross and follow Jesus. But when you get angry and you, those emotions kick in, Satan gets a foothold. And so book three, we're talking about going into the world and making a difference. But we also have to take care of those things that are still lingering as we learned how to tell, tell ourselves no. And God, yes, there's always those things that we can't tell ourselves no to. And some of, everybody who's taken Master Life, and, you, and you're not still using it on a regular basis, it's because you got beaten by a foothold of Satan, and you didn't fix it the way that you were taught to fix it. You didn't start joining Jesus in it, and it's still, every time it pops up, it gets you. It's foothold. And when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. God gets angry, Amen. When God gets angry, does he give a mighty foothold to the devil? No, because we're not God, are we? God doesn't have a sinful nature, but we do. In other words, our sinful nature, as bad as it is, is weakest when we get angry. You get angry and you go get drunk. You get angry and you have a conversation with someone you shouldn't have because you're married. You get angry, you... Leave and you go out and hang out with the guys for, you know, and whatever. When you know it's breaking the heart of the one that you left behind, the family that wants to spend time with you. You get angry. I actually get angry so I can actually work around the house. I use it to my advantage. Carolyn will tell you, I won't do anything she asks me to do till I first get angry. All right? She thinks I'm angry at her. I'm not. I'm angry because God's saying, listen to your wife. And I don't want to. And that makes me angry. But I get there. It's been that way since I was a kid. He said, listen to your mother. But I didn't want to. Anger. Anger. Right? But when I got angry, it was a moment where I was either going to adjust or not adjust to God. You see, that's the key. Number one, don't lose control. It's okay that you're angry. Don't lose control. I don't care if you've been seeing a psychiatrist for 50 years and you're still getting angry. Just toss all that stuff and do what I'm teaching you here today. 
Don't lose control. And it's no, how many of you have said, don't drink and you, and to somebody who's an alcoholic, and it worked? And me telling you don't lose control will not keep you from losing control. So listen to me. Look at me. When I'm saying don't lose control, I mean you're in, you are in a moment when you think you might lose control. You really are in a choice moment. You're either going to hold on and maintain control or you're going to give control to God. As his child, you have a choice. Not his child, you're going to lose control. And you're only going to be able to control it as best you can. And you're never going to be able to control it all of the time. But if one of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Where the control is not my control, but the Spirit who lives in me controlling me. Ephesians 4.26a, the first part of that verse says, Don't sin by letting, circle the words letting, don't sin by letting anger control you. Anger can never control you until you let it. Because as a Christian, you have an option to let someone else control you in that moment. Since we have the Spirit, let us obey the Spirit's leading in every area of our life. Right? Right? Ephesians 4.31, don't stop, or don't, or stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each, each other or ever be rude. In other words, think about this. This is in that, that's that same passage of scripture, just a couple of verses later. Don't sin by letting anger control you because here's what you can expect. Bitterness, anger, and being mad at others. How do I not do that? Verse 26, don't let Anger control you. So don't lose control. And then number two, there's these two things. That's it. Get over it. Write that down. Number two, get over it. If you're not over it within 24 hours, then you are missing God. You are missing God. God would never command us something and then us not be able to do it, right? So the second part of Ephesians 4.26 says, Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. Well, how do I do it? Well, when you're angry, pray. Converse with God. Talk to Him. It's the last thing I can get people to do when they're angry. Talk to God. Sometimes Carolyn will say that. You need to talk to God. Right? And she's right. When I'm angry, I need to talk to God. Can everybody who agrees with me raise your hand? When I'm angry, I need to talk to God? Yes. Here's what we talk about. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. When you are praying, when you're talking to God, if you are angry with someone, uh-oh, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. Right? God wants to forgive your sins. But if you won't forgive others, which is what happens when you get angry, the first thing that goes out the window when I'm angry is forgiveness. 
Aren't you glad the first thing that goes out isn't going out the window when God gets angry is forgiveness? No. As far as relationship goes, I can't do a thing that can break that where his anger will ever say, you're out of the family. But I got to put you in the corner. That happens all the time. So get over it quickly. Um, don't lose control. So if, if you're angry and you want to stop messing up when you're angry, get over it, talk to God, get over it. But don't lose control. And you know you're not losing control when you ask God to help you. Who of you, if your child asked you for a loaf of bread, would give him a rock instead? How much more will your Father in Heaven give you the Spirit when you ask? Right? Not on your notes, but I wrote this down because now, now that I've taught you that, right, to not let sin control you, not to let it get control and to let it go quickly, now you'll see how this works in Romans 12, 18, and 21, where, he, where Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What, what he's saying is, don't get angry and be overcome with evil. Instead, let God be the one who gets even for you. Listen, as angry as you are, you can't match God's anger. Right? And we're usually, our anger's based on, always based on, just a part of the information. And God's anger will always be based on all of the information. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody and found out you shouldn't have been mad? Yeah, you just didn't have all the facts. But you'd have been okay if you would have went to God and you would have controlled it before you said anything or did anything that hurt them and you would be thanking God afterwards, amen? Why? Because he deserves the credit. Because when you went to him, he said something like, forgive him, Bob, I'll take care of him, right? So now, what about God's anger? We're gonna finish with that today. How to deal with God's anger. What do I do when I know God's angry at me? Number one, if God is angry with me, simply submit to God. That's it. If God's angry at me because of disobedience, I need to just simply, he's letting me know and I need to submit to him. If it's because of unforgiveness, he's letting me know and I need to submit to him. If it's because I'm demanding of my own way and I'm not getting it, then he'll tell me to start loving the person and stop loving myself, right? These are the things that happen. It's simple. When I get angry or when I know that God is angry with me, whether it's because I'm angry or any of the reasons that we talked about today, I just simply need to submit to him. Romans 3, 5, and 6, is it wrong for God to become angry and punish us? What a foolish thing to ask, but the answer is no. It's not wrong for God to become angry and to punish us, but when he does, he's not looking to make us pay for it. Jesus paid for it. He's looking to get us to never repeat it. He's looking for us to stop it. He's looking for us maybe to make amends. He can direct us. He's our God. So whatever he's telling us to do, we just simply say, yes, Lord. As long as I know it's you, I'm never going to tell you no again. I just need to know it's you. Hebrews 12, 9 says, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? The Holy Spirit is the Father of our spirits. 
And shouldn't we submit even more to his discipline? So that's what he wants. His, his discipline isn't to make us pay for something that's wrong, but to get us to submit to him so the wrong will stop. Does that make sense? If you're disciplining your child, you don't want to keep beating them because they told a lie. You want them to stop telling lies, don't you? And if they stop telling lies, are you going to keep, oh, remember you told a lie last week. Come on over here for your punishment again. We're not going to keep doing that. And God doesn't do that to us. He just wants it to affect change. And punishment is part of affecting that change. And it comes usually after anger because we have bought into a lie and he's angry that we bought into a lie. God gets angry over everything that starts with a lie. He does until we start submitting to him. So is that easy enough? If I know God's angry with me, I just need to submit to God. Is that easy enough? No 10 Hail Marys, okay, right? No, I have to go do 10 good things to make up for it. I just submit to God. Now, he may have me do 10 good things, but I'm doing them with him, right? That's what God wants, me to walk with him. Number two is if God is, if I know God is angry with others, one of his other children, one of you guys, if I know God is angry with you, what am I supposed to do? Well, let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 5, 11. You must not associate with those who call themselves believers in Christ, but who sin sexually or are greedy or worship idols or abuse others with words or get drunk or cheat people. Do not even eat with people like that. Do you know what the problem in the church is? There's always two churches. They're the church, there's the part of the church that just wants to obey God and walk with God, hates it when they sin, loves each other through that sin, never condemns and never judges. And then there's the part of the church that thinks that, oh, I've got to keep my sin hidden so everybody will accept me. That, God didn't establish that church. People establish that church. If God is angry with you because you're cheating on your wife, I can't have dinner with you. Why? Because God loves you, and he is not going to live that way with you. He's going to step back and let you fly your plane right into divorce, kids who hate you, all kinds of things. I know, I've flown my plane in so many places. I've flown my plane in places that you guys never went, I'm sure. But I couldn't go to church during those times. I felt like if I went to church, I'd be a hypocrite. But I've been a pastor for 30 years, and not everybody's like me. Some people actually can go to church and cheat on their wife. I've had it happen in Master Life classes. Some people can go to church and get drunk and can't get past getting drunk and getting drunk and getting drunk and want to be seen as equal with everybody. And God's telling me, Bob, you can't even eat with them. My pastor doesn't love me. He judges me. No, I'm not judging you. I'm obeying my father. If I'm cheating on Carolyn, you don't have dinner with me, okay? Yeah, it's her mother who said that. All right. <laughs> it's okay. I love God, and if I'm greedy, I don't want you hanging out with me because I want what's best for you. Now, if I'm greedy and I want what's best with me, I would tell you, don't listen to God. Come on, let's, let's go fishing or something. All right? So look, this is the problem with us. 
because I sin and I want people to like me even though I sin, when they sin, I want to like them. Okay. I think God would agree that's a good thing. So I have my four, four boys growing up. My dad decides that Bob's messed up. He puts Bob in the corner. The family's having a family day. And so, you know what, Bob, you messed up. You're going to go in the corner while we're having a family day, playing games and whatever, and we'll let you in after a couple hours. This is to teach you to obey your mom, that being, being part of the family is more than just playing games. It's saying yes to your mother, right? And so I'm in the corner, and one of my brothers decides that he's going to come over with a Monopoly game, and for two hours we play Monopoly. You think my dad's going to be happy with my brother? You think God's happy with you when you are letting a drunk stay drunk because you support them? You remember parents, you know how parents get and they, and they get to a point where they, they realize that they are actually keeping their children from turning to God because every time they have a problem, they fix it? That's called enabling. That's all he's talking about here. He's saying, don't enable your brothers. I'm not walking with them. I'm not playing games with them right now. And you need to join me in their life. Titus 3, 10 and 11 says, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Listen, nobody believes the same. But everyone who divides over the fact that we don't believe the same is missing the love of God. Because even if the one was totally right and understood every truth and didn't love that brother who didn't understand as much as they did, then that person would miss God and they would be nothing to God. Right? We all know that. First Corinthians, right? And so we should never divide over believing differently. We should never divide over the way we raise our kids. We should never divide over who we vote for, for president. We should never divide, for, divide over anything. But we should never cause division in a church. And the way the church deals with that is to warn you once, warn you twice, and then as a church have nothing more to do with you. This is if I know God is angry with you because you're dividing our church then I need to warn you once and then twice and then simply have nothing more. to. I don't need to have, pull you out in front of everybody. I just need to warn you. And you go, well, I'm the one to know it, but nobody else knows it. Okay, keep it to yourself. Why? Look what he says. Look what he says there. For people like that have turned away from truth and what? Their own sins will condemn them. You don't condemn them. Their own sins, their continuing to cause division will condemn them. You don't condemn them. Never condemn someone who belongs to God. Why? Because you're not joining God in their life. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And no one is in Christ Jesus because they don't make mistakes anymore. Because they don't drink anymore or do drugs anymore or cheat on their wives anymore. We're in Christ Jesus because even though all of us are guilty of something and some more than others, obviously, we put our faith and trust in him. And so we don't need each other condemning each other, do we? No. Let the sin condemn the person. You love the person and join God in their life, right? So you've got an alcoholic in the church, you join God in the life. You've got somebody causing division in the church, you join God in their life. Because you know God's angry with them. 
and he didn't put you in charge of them. He's still their God. He's still their father, and he's still their guide, and he's still the one who speaks to their heart. Is he not? So join him. He's still loving them, but he doesn't want you to play with them when he's got them in the corner. Does that make sense? Uh, that's a whole lot different than you condemning them, and now you're God. That don't work. That's what people do. It's not what God allows, because God will get angry with me if I were to do that. Would he not? For me to condemn someone he has claimed innocent because of the blood of his son would make God angry. So I'm not going to condemn you no matter what. If you're lost and you sin, I'm going to point you to Jesus and help you find him so that you can follow him. If you're saved and you're sinning, I want to help you find Jesus and follow you, follow Jesus in that sin, in that situation, in that mindset. Why? So that you don't let Satan get a foothold when you're angry or in any other time in your life. Jesus is the answer before you get angry, while you're angry, and after you're angry. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together with your family. I know you love us all and you care about us all and that um, we all need you and your grace and your mercy. And we're all sinners and we all need that grace and that mercy. And if we're going to join you in each other's life, we're going to show that grace and that mercy. And we're going to remember the words of Paul, but for the grace of God, there go I. Any one of us could fall to something, Lord, this week. I pray that you will surround us with people who will help us find you in the situations that we're in and follow you as you lead us through them until you lead us out of them. You are a God that never leaves us nor forsakes us. You have great plans for us. And Lord, if we can just join you, you can actually use us in each other's lives. May we be instruments in this community, especially as we go to praise in the park. Let us invite our neighbors and friends to the picnic and, to the, and encourage them to stick around for the worship. Because, Lord, I believe more people that are saved that haven't been in church will be there. And that you're calling them and you're speaking to them and saying, this is for you. They're not comfortable walking into a church, but they're comfortable going to a picnic and listening to worship music and maybe participating. And maybe you will give us a chance to use what we learn next Sunday and witness to them about the difference you make in our life, that it's not about following rules, it's about following you, and you're beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.